Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. Jess, we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of the World Cup. We won! We were the winners! Woohoo! <laughs> Let's hope, fingers crossed, we don't want to jinx them. Because I was going to say at the top of, of this show that it seems like it, we are right now, Off the Looking Glass is the opposite of the Madden curse because we had so- Sophia Smith on the show. Ooh. And then what happens? Shot taken, blocked, and it rolls in! Wow. She scored two goals and assisted a third goal. That's right. So, I don't know. I mean, just we're putting out like an open welcome invitation to any soccer players who do want to come on the show because the end result is obviously superior performance on the pitch. Yeah, we need to get Lindsay Horan on because it would be great if we could finish some more of those chances, Kate. Horan settles, shoots! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same with Megan Rapino if she wants to come on again, because, you know, she's kind of back on the pitch now, working her way back into form. And if she wants to accelerate that process, you and I are here to help her. It's it's a open invite to Rapino. Yeah. 14 hour time difference. But look, we can work it out. You and I, we have big brains. We could figure out this time difference if we needed to. I probably can't. <laughs> yeah. Actually, now that I think about that. Time zones is like my weakest subject. Yeah. Brains exploding. But we're in the middle of the World Cup. It's been so fun to watch. And we wanted to keep the soccer theme going. So we have a really cool, interesting interview today. And then something very special from a different sporting event that is happening. It is the Tour de France, the women's Tour de France. Maybe something you didn't know about. But we have a campfire from the woman who won the very first ever women's tour de france and she's going to tell us how that came together she was the underdog how she made it work so really cool campfire and jess do you want to tell the people about our very special interview today or tee it up a little bit we interviewed two special guests gene and becca with the story of the soccer grannies it's a great story um i'm very excited for people to listen to it We are covering the entire world with Off the Looking Glass because not only are we talking about things happening in Australia and New Zealand, like on the way back to the U.S., we're like making a pit stop in South Africa. So we're we are uh, the worldwide Jess and Kate show here. Mama Becca is the founder of the Soccer Grannies. And this is a group of South African grandmothers who come together onto the soccer pitch to celebrate being alive. And they see it as their weekly dose of therapy, emotional and physical. And Jean Duffy is a older soccer player living in New England here in the US, was connected with Mama Becca and has actually brought her over to the US 
a couple times, and Jean has gone over to play in the Soccer Grannies World Cup. So we're super excited about this interview, and without further ado, Jean Duffy and Mama Becca. I'd love to hear from both of you about like the story about why you started playing soccer. Well, I started playing uh, in my mid-40s. I was standing on the sidelines in Lexington, Massachusetts, watching my daughters play. And I said, that looks like fun. I can run five miles. Surely I can run and chase a soccer ball. And uh, I found a group of like-minded women and I was hooked right away. It was just such a fun way to exercise. And I've been at it ever since, 20 years. <laughs> we never played soccer in our country as grannies. And um, remember when I started this, I was still young, uh, but what happened is because I was sick for a long time because of cancer. And I'll go to um, hospital, the, the time I was working, and I had the medical aid and I'll go to a private hospital. But when the medical aid exhausted, I had to go to a public hospital. And that's where I'll meet this granny seated there. And most of them, I know them because I do community work. Someone will say, I have a problem here. And the other one will say, I only woke up to find that my I have a problem with my shoulders and a lot of problems. But when I get home, I visited some of them to try and understand what the problem was, only to find that they have the same thing, high blood, uh, stress and hypertension, sugar diabetes. And most of them, it was the same thing. And I said, no, it is a problem. And my doctor advised me to exercise because I was in a wheelchair for a long time because of cancer. And... One day I decided to walk out from home. My parents were against that because when you have cancer, I was so thin. Cancer changed everything in your body. I didn't have my hair. So my parents didn't want people to see me. And I decided to sneak out of the house and I was walking. I'll meet some of the grannies. I meet one, in fact. She asked me, where are you going to? I said, I'm exercising and come join me. But in my heart, I didn't want to exercise to that level. I just wanted to hold on her because I knew that maybe on the road something will happen and I was not okay, remember. So I, she joined me and then as we were walking, remember when she joined me, she's telling me her problems. And to me, it was an advantage of holding to someone. As we were walking down, we meet another one, say, Mama, Mama, back. And I said, Ah, wow. Uh, she said, I have a problem of this and this. Come join me. And the joining was not because I wanted them to tell me their, <laughs> their problems. I wanted to hold on them. As we were walking, they were telling me their stories. And I went to the soccer field. We get the soccer field. And then when we were there, these boys were playing soccer down there. And the ball came to us somehow. And then one of the grannies decided to run and kick the ball. She missed twice <laughs> and we were laughing at her. And I didn't have that energy because I was sick. But the next one tried to run, missed, and the boys were laughing at us. They came to us just to collect the ball from us. And the grannies decided to play with them and people were passing, laughing at us. We went home. The next day, I received a call from Boone and she said, no, 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 let's do this again. It was nice. And I said, huh? She said, it was nice. I slept um, like never before. Oh, we went the next day. We were joined by grannies. It was like that. The third day, we had more than 80 
Gren is joining us. <laughs> 80? Yes, 80. Jean, this question is for you, but Becca, I think it'll be relevant as well. What have you seen the effects of playing, of doing this, of community, of all of that? I mean, so much in America, it's just like sports is about the highest performance possible and money and all of those things. And what has, for you and for the women who play with you, what has the ramifications been? So I feel like within the U.S. for my team, it's just a fun way to keep exercising. I think most of us have exercised all along one way or another. The sprinting of soccer is is good, particularly good aerobic exercise. And the emotional benefits of for that hour, you know, you're just running after the ball and having fun and you forget the to-do lists and all the pressures of the day. And it's built, become a community. Those women are some of my best friends and we, you know, celebrate, you know, when somebody's turning 60, that means they can play in the next older league. And that's, <laughs> that's exciting, something to celebrate. And we support each other through rough times too, you know delivering casserole dinners to the houses or whatever it takes. So yeah, we've uh, definitely built community. Actually, Jean, I'll stick with you for a second because this is very specific to the U.S., just the idea of Title IX. Yes. You watching your daughter play soccer and have these opportunities in sport, what was that feeling like? I talked to my mom about this a lot, whether like she's obviously thrilled at the opportunities I got but also a small amount of jealousy that like she didn't have that same structure around sports for girls here. So what was the emotional, what was it like for you emotionally? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely of an age group that there was no girls soccer at my high school or at college. So I didn't play any sports there, any team sport at all. And my parents were did not exercise and I had no older siblings, so I had no role models. So it was really not till I finished college and got out in the working world and had a little extra time on my hand that I started running and swimming and biking and dabbled in triathlons and then found this first team sport in my 40s. But as my team was playing, you know, 10 years in or so, we started benefiting from the women who had uh, had the Title IX ex- advantages of being able to play in high school and college. And all of a sudden our game was really boosted up. (laughs) You know, they made us run harder and they really added to our team. Becca, what has the soccer grannies, how has it impacted the women that you play with or that you see that you work with? What has that impact been? You know, before, remember, we did not play soccer at all. And in our culture for a woman going out to play something that is for men, it was not okay. I mean, we were always at our houses looking after the children, um, looking after our husband, looking after the family. But now I'm telling you, everyone from South Africa, we have soccer team. I now have more than 200 soccer teams around the communities. And I discovered that I have more, only that I didn't have time to go out and because they want to see me. You know, they love me so much that they want to see me. When I send people, they just want to see me. So I have to go there and meet with them. But I'm telling you, even wearing shorts, (laughs) I had to convince the grannies because they came to play soccer wearing long skirt, you know, a long skirt, not this short. And the reason why you see us playing, wearing um, something on our head to covering our head, 
it's like that because as an older woman, you have to put something on your hair. It's not like these days, you know, because some are educated, they don't want to do that. But we have to do that. And doing that also made us popular with journalists and whoever, because they wanted to understand why we are putting on something on our head. And wearing shorts, we have to put on the tights and then we put on the shorts. Otherwise, before it was not like that. I convinced them it was difficult. But now I'm telling you, people are enjoying this. And the <laughs> international soccer tournament uh, brought a lot of people in our community. They were happy. Becca, can you explain the nickname that the grannies have and where that came from? Bakegula, Bakegula. Bakegula is grannies. It's a Tsonga language and grannies. So we have Bafana Bafana, you know, you know Bafana Bafana. Mm -hmm. I think everyone knows Bafana Bafana. And the ladies is Banyana Banyan. So when we were playing there, we said, how can we, you know, the name of this team? And we said, but we have Banyana Banyana, we have Bafana Bafana. Let's say Bakegula Bakegula. And I'm telling you, people were laughing at us, Bakegula Bakegula, playing <laughs> soccer. But now they enjoy it. Yeah, I was actually in South Africa for the World Cup in 2010. That was kind of a turning point for the, the soccer grannies, right, Becca? And what has the um, legacy of the 2010 South Africa World Cup been in your country? Like, do you, is soccer bigger there? Like, what did the 2010 World Cup do? It's bigger. We are still excited about it. Remember, it was coming uh, for the first time after many years, after uh, our own and lovely president was released, Nelson Rolisanta Mandela. Sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. So it brought a lot of changes and a lot of things. And to us, it was exciting. Remember that South Africa was banned to play soccer in FIFA World Cup some times ago. So coming to South Africa, FIFA coming to South Africa, it brought a lot of changes in our country. And we are still talking about that. And even the Grannies, it's like a World Cup. They respect us. We're well respected in our country. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like if you have 200 communities who have teams, and how have you seen the response to the soccer grannies change in South Africa? Like, in the beginning, was it kind of like, what's happening? And now, how do the communities interact with these teams? I remember someone, we were supposed to have an interview, and he told me straight in my eyes that, uh, what is he going to do with this expired grannies. I was angry because I looked at myself and said, I'm also getting there. And the time he told me I was hurt. But uh, now having more than 200 grannies playing soccer, it's better because, you know, let me tell you, I don't know how to put it, but it's like playing soccer, the grannies playing soccer. They are no longer staying at home, looking after the kids. It's our time to use makeup. Remember, we'd never used makeup. It's our time to look after our bodies. It's our time to enjoy. You know, when you get old, you know that it's after getting old, you die. So it's our time to enjoy. I don't think I'll have time to nurse my daughter, to nurse my grandkids. I have something to do. And when you are doing that with other women, 
it helps us not to get old and confused and these diseases because we can't allow women to do that now. We are going to enjoy. It's our time. Jean, how did you find out about the soccer grannies? So it was 2010, as you mentioned, and South Africa was hosting the World Cup. And it was the perfect time for this the international spotlight to shine on this group of grandmothers playing soccer in South Africa. They were the perfect human interest story. And so my team, you know, saw one of these a BBC newsreel about these women playing. And just right away, I could tell I felt such a bond with them. You know, they were even older than us. And yet, you know, which is inspiring. And yet you could tell they were having fun running around. And I knew they felt the same benefits from camaraderie and, and health that we did. And so uh, we decided to invite the team to come to America that summer. And right away, Becca said, we will come, we will come. She's ever positive. But we had no idea the hurdles we would face um, getting passports and visas. I mean, many of these women have not been educated, so they don't know how to write. And um, we had to raise $40,000. And even getting flights was hard because the planes were full of travelers returning to America when we were trying to get them. So it came down to the last minute, but they came and it was just an amazing experience uh, to bring our teams together. Yeah. I think I saw, well, I know I saw a, a news clip of you, Jean, speaking. You were at, I believe it was the recent tournament in, yes. in South Africa. Was that the Granny's football tournament? Yes. When um, Becca visited America in 2010, she said, before I die, I have a dream to host a Granny's World Cup in South Africa and you must all come. And we said, sure, we'll come. But, you know, we just, she's amazing. She sets a dream and a vision and she makes things happen. So yes, in March this year, there were 16 teams at this tournament from across Africa, the US and Europe. And just from Massachusetts alone, we brought three teams, 50 women in their 50s, 60s and 70s. And Becca provided us the experience of a lifetime. We had no idea what to expect, but there was an opening parade through the town with the streets lined with people, you know, cheering for us and asking to take their pictures with us, you know, each team behind the flag of their country and we paraded into the stadium and the stadium was full. I mean, I've never played in front of five people, let alone 5,000. And, you know, it struck me that from 15 years before when Becca started the team there, you know, the grannies were, as she explained, laughed at and told they belong home, taking care of the kids and the grandkids. And yet now here they are, you know, the heroes bringing this big international event to their town. And it's just wonderful to see them being celebrated on the field now. Becca, how did you get the Granny World Cup? How did you fill the stadium? How? Mm. <laughs> I'm still asking myself that question. <laughs> I'm trying to, because people are telling me that they enjoy it. Jean tells me we enjoy it. People are telling me, even the community members, they tell me. But I I don't know where I am, but it's like God helped me to do it after being sick for a long time. And here I come with something and it turns to gold. So to me, it's amazing. I'm still thanking God almost every day and the community. You know, hence I'm saying once the community supports you is because they see something in you. So I delivered even though it was tough, but I'm, I'm happy. 
is the goal to have another one in 2025. I don't mean to like, you just did a great job with this one and now I'm already looking to the future. But what is the goal for the Grannies World Cup moving forward? When I was asking, you know, people in my home country, they were saying it's good if it's come back like Comrade Marathon. This one will be better and more exciting than before. Some of the story here is just the power of sport to build this global community where where we help each other. And in order to support all of Becca's initiatives to improve the health of older women in South Africa across uh, football, both these ongoing teams and her, her next tournament and their health and wellness and nutrition and educational important things and their personal care and hygiene, simple things like providing underwear is is a wonderful needed thing. So a group of us have set up a GoFundMe here in the United States, score another one for the South Africa soccer grannies. And, you know, we're hoping to raise good money to help make this next tournament go more smoothly for Becca on the financial side and just support all of her initiatives that any contribution, any size can make a big difference and she puts it to work. So Last one is just, you know, Becca, tell us a little bit about what you're doing here in in the States. Okay, we have a book launch, The Soccer Grannies. It was written by Jean Duffy. And, (laughs) you know, this woman is so amazing. I didn't expect her to write a book. And she was collecting each and everything that we're doing in 2010 since we met. And she was writing it down. I was not even writing it down. I can't remember some of the things, but she can. And then she decided to write a book about us. And I'm telling you, it's a good idea. At first, I didn't understand if it will be a book. I thought it will be a magazine. But when I look at the book now, I'm saying, wow. I can't believe that Jean can do this. And she did it. And she's an amazing woman. I I love her so much. She supported me so long and she has been there for me. You know, sometimes things were not okay. I was sick. Sometimes I wanted to give up. I remember the time I wanted to commit suicide because I remember when you are sick, you know, all the, 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 the medication that they give us. So if you mix one plus two, it will do this and this to you. But because of her, she made me realize that uh, cancer is not the end of the world. I'm still alive today. I'm fighting for the rights of our people. And I want to give them hope that if you take good care of yourself, you'll end up good. I know that it will come back. It's on remission, but I'm not looking at the negative side of cancer. I'm looking at the positive side of what I'm doing in the community because the community still needs me. And I realized, I was telling Jean yesterday that I received a lot of calls, messages that people want to honor me with a doctorate at home. I denied that. The reason because I'll wait for God and then he'll tell me that This is good. You know, the best thing in me that I believe is when I go back home to my Lord and he'll say, well done, my child, you are home. Uh, These other things to me is just things that I'm doing for the community. And I love that. Well, thank you both for your time this morning. We're so thrilled to have you on. Becca, we're, we're thrilled you're here in the States and celebrating this amazing book. You must come and support us. And 2025, you must play with us. Oh, I'm so down. In South Africa? Yes. I would definitely go. Yeah, Please. I will definitely go.
If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Kate here, and I wanted to take a minute to set the stage in advance of the campfire you're about to hear from cyclist Marianne Martin. And she is the first ever winner of the Women's Tour de France, which was held in 1984. It was called the Tour de France Feminine, and it had 18 stages, and one of the cool things about it is that they set it up so that the women's cycling stages would be finishing just before the men's competition began. So there'd be crowds lining the roads in anticipation of the men's Tour de France. So there was like this built-in excitement and this built-in crowd. And that version of the Tour de France ran from 1984 to 1989. One not so cool thing about that particular race in 1984 was that when Martin won that year's Tour de France, she was given a trophy and the equivalent of about $1,000, whereas the male race winner won about the equivalent of $225,000. So the reason we wanted to tell this campfire as well is because recently the Tour de France Feminine was rebooted. It ran again in 2021, and it was sponsored by Zwift, and there was already this built-in TV deal and TV audience and the point of rebooting it was because they wanted to learn from the past and build a sustainable women's tour de France and the edition this year's edition of the race is going to start the day the men's tour de France finishes so I hope you enjoy this campfire from Marion Martin I had always just revered the Tour de France and thought, I want to do that. But there wasn't one for women. You know, it had been going on for like 75 years. And there was no thought about having women in it. And then all general sports were evolving to include women and to equalize women. And so there was pressure to have women. And so when I heard the announcement, that's all I could think of. That's all I wanted to do. I really think my cycling started 
it wasn't my cycling, but also my zest for adventure, for doing something new. When I was in fourth grade, I talked my best friend into riding our bikes 20 miles to the, the mall. Of course, we got there and we didn't have a, a lock. So I've always had that passion to do something that was a challenge. Can I really do this? And I didn't get into cycling again until probably early 80s. I hurt my back running and to stay fit, I started riding a bike. And then, of course, my focus was on cycling. And I saw in this magazine that this American, Jonathan Boyer, had set a record for the fastest time across the United States. And I said to my mom, I want to be the first woman. Then I realized I didn't like riding that long. So that went away. Then the same guy, Jonathan Boyer, was the first American man to ride in the men's Tour de France. And there I am again. I want to do that. But of course, there wasn't a women's Tour de France then. And I was already racing on the national circuit at that point. So when I heard there was going to be a women's Tour de France, that's all I wanted to do. I mean, I didn't care about Worlds or Olympics because to me, the Tour de France is the pinnacle. So I wanted to go for the top. When we got to France, we were there a few days early just to register and get acclimated and stuff. And we were assigned a team manager from France. The tour put it up. He didn't speak any English. And I don't even know how much he knew about cycling. So that didn't really coalesce the team. And we didn't have a mechanic. And we didn't have any bike parts. We didn't have any of that. It was probably a big deal, but I don't remember it as a big deal. One of the girls' husband was coming along the race and he worked on our bikes and, you know, we just made it work. It, things evolved along the way, but it was very on a shoestring and it was the first one. So nothing was, this is how we do it. You know, everything was an experiment. And then the Tour de France itself was just crazy. It's a spectacle. It's like a circus. It's the coolest event. All that support, having all the spectators there, it definitely propelled us on and gave us so much energy and joy. Every single day was wonderful. Now, of course, racing was really hard. I remember this one point where I think it was the Juplan. We did like 30 kilometers or something, and then we hit the mountains. And you could look and you could see this twisty, turny road all the way up and over the mountain. And you just think, there is no way I can do that. The road is lined with people the whole way up there. But I still, when I turned that corner and saw that, I just thought, oh my God, there's no way I can do that. But a step at a time. And, you know, with all those people, there's no way I'm going to stop my bike. You know, you can just do so much more than we think we can do. We were supposed to be working for this one woman on the team, but she wasn't as fit as she thought she would be in totality. So when I wanted to go ahead, I knew I had to get that by a lot because if I just snuck her out, then that wouldn't be cool. I just still had to get it by a lot. But when I got to the top of the mountain, I was 10 minutes ahead of the pack. And I still had 50 kilometers to go. And I thought, I should slow down. I can't do this alone. And then I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and they can catch me. But they never caught me. So when I finished alone in Grenoble, I did sort of think that maybe I could win. 
on the last day, the last race where we came into Paris, Helena Hago was only three minutes behind me, one of the Dutch riders. And she wasn't a really good climber, but the Dutch riders are really good sprinters. I mean, she was a good climber for a Dutch rider, but I also knew she was a good sprinter. And so the last day, I just hung right on her wheel so she couldn't get away. And at one point we went past the start finish line and I heard somebody yell, go Marianne Martin. And so the next lap around that we were at the Champs-Élysées, I looked over and it was my dad. And he had surprised me and came over to watch the finish. And I turned to Helena and I said, oh, that's my dad. And like she cared, but it was pretty exciting to have my dad there. And again, the last day, all I wanted to do was stay right with her. You come across the finish line and you've got the yellow jersey and you just kind of, it was just, it was amazing. We did the last 60 or seven kilometers of the men's race. So we had the same finish as the men's. And it continued that way for, I've heard anything from six years to 10 years. And then it kind of shifted around and it was in sync with the men's amateur Tour de France, which is in August. And then it faded away. They couldn't make it work financially and logistically, and that was just much more trouble than they thought. So that's why it didn't continue. And so it wasn't until Zwift picked up sponsorship last year that there was a women's Tour de France again last year for the first time again. Zwift has given a four-year commitment, and I really hope it works for them. I hope that that can be you know, historical like the men's and just keep going because it was a great experience. And if it can inspire anybody to push beyond what they think they can do, I would love that. You know, the Tour de France has always been one of those events where I wondered why there wasn't a women's version of it, because it seems like a perfectly easy event to say, okay, and also there's going to be a women's tour de France. Right. So it was really cool to talk to Marianne Martin about her experience and also to dig in a little deeper about the event that's going on right now, the women's tour de France in France. I could have teed that up France. a little bit better, Jess, but <laughs> in France. The tour de France in France. In, wait for it. France. Uh, one of my favorite words to say, Jess, is croissant, because I feel mm. really smart when I say it. And when I hear someone say croissant with like a hard R. Croissant. You know. Yeah. I always think of the way Julie Louis-Dreyfus says it in Veep. A croissant? She says it mm. very French. I think she has French ancestry. She always says it croissant. And croissant. I really appreciate yeah. that about her. I think this Tour de France... France conversation France. also is a good segue into something that has been happening on Netflix, which is there's a new Tour de France documentary series, which I have only seen the first couple episodes of. I think it only covers the men's Tour de France, mm, um, which, yeah, not that surprising, but something that I think has been more on people's radars lately because Netflix has made, you know, the Breakpoint slash Point Break mm -hmm. series now covering men's and women's tennis. They've made the F1 series that only covers men's motorsport and Formula One. Mm -hmm. And now we have this Tour de France one. Maybe we'll get a spinoff version if we get some women on the show. I don't know. We'll see. Just how close do you think we are to an SNL skit about the ridiculous onslaught of embedded sports projects that are flooding the market? 
we're pretty close, right? Like what we could have an embedded horseshoe competition. We're reaching a saturation point for sure. Yes. I feel like it only works with sports that are, although, you know what? Now there's a new Netflix show about quarterbacks. So I was going to say, I think it only works for sports that are kind of like in people's peripheral knowledge, but I lied because I've heard the NFL adjacent one is also very good. So who knows? Yeah. Let's just make more about women, perhaps. Yeah, maybe we could have the Tour de France Femme, I think is what it's actually branded. F-E-M-M-E, which I'm probably butchering. My mom would be no, really you, I embarrassed think you said for me. That right. I did it okay. Yeah. Okay. Let us wrap this up now, Jess, and then we will go get croissants and a cafe au lait. Jess, thank you for co-hosting and producing Off the Looking Glass. We were also produced by Anya Alvarez and executive produced by Carl Scott. We also are sound engineered and designed by Joel Shupak. Thank you, Joel, for helping us make the show. Big thank you to Jean and Becca for joining us on the Soccer Grannies conversation and also to Marianne Martin for sharing her story about winning the first ever women's Tour de France. Croissant. Croissant. (laughs) This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.